All right, how are you guys doing this morning? Uh, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Uh, so uh, today I'm going to be uh, sharing the word of God from uh, James chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to be reading starting from verse 1. James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For if we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to brittle his, own, his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue, its restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my, my brothers, these things ought not be so. That a spring uh, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield flesh water. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. And Heavenly Father, as we learn from your word, I pray, Holy Spirit, to open every heart and mind. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you give me utterance so that I may be able to speak according to your will, according to your word, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The ability to speak is a privilege given to all of us. With our words, we are able to uplift people, we are able to bless people, we are able to do marvelous things. With the same tongue, we are also able to curse, we are also able to insult, we are also able to uh, say all the wrong things. But what a great privilege it is to have this power. When uh, we think about uh, the, the immense power that our speech has in our lives, it makes us to stand back and uh, take it seriously and take it in and saying, what an amazing privilege that I have. Uh, here, um, uh, James is telling us about the incredible influence that our tongue has. A judge could pronounce guilty or not guilty and 
determine the lifespan of a prisoner that will influence his life, uh, his family's life, and everybody around them. A leader of a nation can utter words and take a nation into war. Parents can speak words to a child, words of love and encouragement, or words of abuse that will determine the course of their children's lives for years to come. Paul, um, uh, Peter, I'm sorry, stood among uh, the congregation during Pentecost and preached the gospel. And 3,000 people came to the Lord. What an immense power that is. So my purpose today is to establish that our tongue holds great and immense power in our lives and that we should steward it in a proper way. Our speech has an underestimated immense power that is disproportionate to its size, so we must exercise control over it. Verse 1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. During the Roman times, there were many teachers uh, that were raised up during, uh, in that culture. Many would come up with their own philosophies and they would attract a following, much like our social media stars today. Uh, so to the different Jewish churches that James was writing, they may have seen this in their culture and they have said, you know, I want to be like those teachers. And many were aspiring to be like those teachers. But James is reminding them, saying, no, 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 brothers. When it comes to the house of God, when it comes to the kingdom of God, it's not about your social media numbers. It's about a responsibility and an accountability. The Lord is going to ask you what you did with it. The reason that it is, uh, has such a high accountability is because our speech comes with influence. When we speak, we are able to influence others. When we speak, we are able to guide people in a certain way so that, that will shape their lives. That's why we have to be, uh, that's why we have to put ourselves under the right teaching. That's why we need to be careful of all the sermons and the podcasts and all the things that we listen to because these things influence us. So he's establishing the responsibility that comes with that. So maybe you're saying, okay, you know, you're the one up on stage, you're the one who's uh, preaching, it, it doesn't really concern me, but if we are in any, we are all in some form of leadership because leadership is the ability to influence. So whether you are leading your children and raising them right, whether you are leading your ministry group, whether you are leading a home care, whether you are teaching children or youth or whatever form of influence that you have, the main point is that you should take your responsibility seriously because with your speech, you are influencing others. 
In verse 2, James uh, qualifies this and he says, For we all stumble in many ways. James, though one of the greatest leaders in the first century church, did not claim perfection. He said, who doesn't stumble once in a while? Who doesn't have a slip of a tongue once in a while? How many of us are really perfect? If, if there's anyone here who says, I am perfect in my speech, please come talk to Pastor Z after service because we want to learn from you. But he's not saying, I have arrived, but he's saying, because we have entered into this new life, because we have been born again and are partakers of the kingdom of God, we are able to walk in that path day by day, to be more like Jesus, to be more like him. And one of the aspects that we grow in our discipleship is in our use of our tongue. So our speech has an underestimated immense power that's disproportionate to its size. So we must control our speech because it has great influence over those we lead. Let's continue on verse 3. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So here, James is giving us an analogy of saying, the small bit moves the whole horse. The small wheel steers the whole sheep. So that means even though our tongues are a small object of our body, it guides our entire life. So um, we, we might be able to say that our, if we do not tame or if we do not exercise control over our tongue, our tongue will exercise control over us. Let me give you an example. If someone makes a remark that is unwise and ends up getting into a fight, what has happened is the small tongue has caused the whole body to fend for itself. And so, uh, even though it's small, what James is telling us that disproportionate to its size, it has great influence over us. Jesus also tells us in Matthew 12, 34, that it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So whatever is filled in our hearts, it comes out through our mouth. So uh, we should take great heat in the way that we carry our speech. It is not something that we can uh, disregard as a small thing, but it has the power to steer our entire life, to direct our entire life. So we need to be mindful of it. So our speech has an underestimated immense power, disproportionate to its size. So we must exercise control over our speech because it directs our entire 
life. Continuing on verse 4, uh, verse 5, it says, um, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. But the, and the tongue is a fire. So here, sometimes we utter a stern word, a harsh comment, or an insensitive remark, and we create a hurt in someone else. The impact of that goes a long way than what we would imagine. Uh, once that word is uttered, we can take it back. They say you can't unring a bell, right? Once a bell is rung, it's rung. It's out there. You can't take it back. So in the same way, when we utter something hurtful to someone, we might be regretting it and we should say, oh, you know, I shouldn't have said that. But the damage is already done. If somebody does a campfire and then they end up burning a forest, the forest is on fire. If they say, you know, we should have made sure, we should have put that fire, you know, we regret it, and they repent, the fire is still going. So that's why it has a destructive power, uh, which is immense. So we must be very careful not to utter something. Sometimes when you get into a heated argument with someone, it's better to leave rather than to say something that you would later regret. It's better to walk out of the room rather than end up saying something that you can't take back. Uh, verse 8 also says, But no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. This word, restless evil, has a characteristics of the enemy. Satan has that kind of characteristic. He's restless. He's always trying to defend what he thinks belongs to him. He's always trying to be number one. He's always competing. It reminds us of the incident of Genesis 3 where the serpent came and deceived Eve. He used his tongue to deceive her, which created something that had an eternal consequence. And then, you know, we say, that serpent, may he eat dust. You know, that's what, that's what the, the, uh, God cursed him, like, you, you will uh, eat dust. And we say, you know, may, may he eat dust, and we get angry with the serpent. But how many of us turn around and gossip on the brother and the sister that the Lord Christ died for? How many of us ruin reputations by talking about other people? How many of us defile and dilute other people's reputation by using our tongue? The tongue is an index of what our life is. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever is in our hearts is displayed or shown through 
our mouth. It's a, like a litmus test of what's inside our hearts. One, one, one writer said, sin comes through the eyes, but goes out through the mouth. It comes, the lust comes through the eyes, but the exit of the defilements of the heart is usually through the mouth. So if a fire can be that dangerous, and an animal, a wild animal, he said earlier, is that dangerous, but if we tame it, it can be of great power. If we tame an animal, we can use the power of that animal to do work. If we tame a fire, we can use the heat from that source to cook food or for other things. In the same way, if we are able to tame our tongues, we can use it for furthering the gospel, for encouraging others, for expanding the kingdom of God. But we need to subdue it. When James says no one can tame it, what he's saying is we can't do it from, with our own might, with our own strength. But when we subdue to the grace of God and say, Lord, I can't, but you can, then we are able to use it in a great manner. So our speech has an underestimated power, immense power, that's disproportionate to its size, and we must exercise control over it because it can uh, cause great damage. Going further, uh, starting from verse 9, James gives contrasts of what our speech should and shouldn't be. Uh, verse 11 says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Basically, he's saying, he's not saying, if you say the wrong things, then it means you're not saved. No, that's not what he's saying. He's not doubting the salvation of the people that he's writing this to. But he's using a rhetorical question to challenge them. Telling them, how come... You are duplicitous. How come there's two sides to you? How come as children of God, you are showing these two different characteristics? Well, when he says in verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? He's saying, even nature does not do this. Even nature keeps to its order. So should you. You should not be duplicitous. You should not have one speech over here and another speech over here. Sometimes we act in a certain way in a certain crowd and then we act in a different way in another crowd. You know, we're like, how are you doing, my brother? How's life? When we come Sunday morning, all looking sharp. And then we go to work and our coworkers are like, that guy's a Christian? Hmm. What are people saying about us? He's challenging, James is challenging us, saying you should not be duplicitous in your speech. And there were these two co-workers and they were having an argument and uh, uh, one of the co-workers said something harsh. And then after he said it, he felt guilty and he said, you know, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said it. It is not like me to say something like this. And then the other friend, 
he was a he was a sharp one. He said, "Well, if it was not in you, how could it come out of you?" <laughs> <laughs> so he's basically saying you can't squeeze a lemon juice and get orange juice. What, what, whatever squeezes you the wrong way, God knows we have so many things squeezing us in different directions. But what comes out of you is what's inside of you, is what he basically saying. So uh, James is challenging us not to be uh, duplicitous, but he's. Asking us to live a life of integrity, where we are, where our lives are open before the Lord and before others, where people can uh, challenge us and where where people can learn from us and where we can grow. You remember the story of Peter, where he claimed, "Lord, I will die for you. I I will go to the end." And then when they challenged him saying aren't you one of them and he said no no i don't know him he was uh promising something here in this crowd when he was with jesus and the disciples and then he's claiming something else completely different when he's challenged but james is telling us don't be duplicitous let your speech be one filled with integrity so our speech has an underestimated immense power disproportionate to its size and we must control our speech exercise control over our speech and not be duplicitous so what 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 do we do with this you might be saying you know okay so what are we supposed to do are we not to take any leadership position are we not to exercise any sort of leadership uh, or should we just make a vow of silence you know just keep our mouth shut communicate with paper and sign language <laughs> you know uh, or, or what are we saying what what i'm saying is you're not you're not supposed to do these things but there are things that you can do first what you can do is repent you can come before the lord if you have said anything that has hurt someone you can come before the lord and genuinely repent for that james did not claim perfection actually he qualified saying no one is perfect we all slip but it is something that we need to be mindful of and carry with the weight that it deserves because it is influential so if it has this much impact then we should be able to take it seriously if we genuinely come repent before him and say i want to change and i want to grow he is faithful to give us the grace that we need to help us grow peter denied jesus three times but later on when the uh, uh rooster uh crowed or whatever whatever the word is <laughs> crows shouted <laughs> spoke <laughs> he was repented he cried it says he bitterly cried it was a true repentance it was not a lip service it was a true repentance he was truly remorseful and uh uh he repented and jesus accepted 
his repentance and raised them up because second chapter of Acts tells us that the same Peter who denied Jesus three times stood before a multitude, preached the gospel, and 3,000 came to the Lord. So if we are able, if we are willing to submit before the Lord, then he is willing to change us. He is willing to give us the grace that we need to enable us to use our tongues for his glory and for his kingdom and for the uplifting of others. Secondly, we saw that out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speaks. So if it is out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks, then we have to ask ourselves, what's in there? What's in our hearts? What's going on in there? And how do we change what's inside our heart is by looking at what we are consuming. So it is not by our strength and might, and I'm not going to say anything wrong from now on, but it is out of the abundance of the Word of God in our hearts that we are able to speak. Uh, that's why uh, Colossians uh, 3.16 says, Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Let the word of God dwell in you richly. When it dwells in there richly, then out of the abundance of that richness overflows that same richness of the life and the word of God. When we are uh, uh, drawing from the well of the word of God, then our hearts are filled and that springs forth into rivers of life. John 17, 17 also says, your word is truth and sanctify them by your word. He didn't, we're not asked to be sanctified by our own strength, but we are sanctified by his word. So Colossians 4, 6 also says, uh, let your speech be seasoned with grace as with salt. Just like salt makes a food tasty, we are also to make our speech seasoned with grace so that our hearers can hear us in that same grace. That's why it's, it's, it's difficult to preach the gospel. If people already find you to be arrogant and if you have duplicitous speech, then it makes it difficult for them to hear the gospel from you but if your speech is always seasoned with salt then when you speak and share the gospel with them then they are able to receive that another way in which the power of our word is exercised is through our prayer and our faith sometimes we pray in one way and then we speak another for example, if I need a job, I would say, you know, Lord, give me a job and open the doors. And then when somebody asks me, how's the job hunt going? If I say, you know, the economy, you know how things are going, you know, you can't get a job this day unless you have a relative working there. You know, what am I saying? I'm saying that I have no faith in God's ability to give me that job. I am denouncing by my powerful words the prayer that I prayed earlier. So I'm multiplying it by zero. 
In the same way, if we say we have faith about something, we need to declare that faith and we need to utter that faith and we need to declare it. It is first spiritual things are first one on the spiritual realm and then they manifest in the physical realm. So if we do not win the battle in our words, how can we win the battle in reality or on the ground? A great example is seen here in the famous story of David and Goliath. If I can take you to 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting from verse uh, 43, here we have a story of David and Goliath. You know, you all know the story. Uh, David heard about it. He wanted. He said, "I will face this giant." I will face this uncircumcised Philistine. I love how he said it, you know. First off the bat, he came and said, I will face this uncircumcised Philistine. You know, who is this who defies uh, uh, the God of Israel? You know, so this is the exchange. What I'm going to read for you is the exchange of David and Goliath just before they started hitting each other. Verse 43 says, And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. This is round one. The Philistine gave his word. Then David replied, then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. He declared this over him. So, after this, then he put the smooth stone into the sling and then through the sling, hit him in the forehead and then cut off his head. But that was already done in the realm of the speech. He already declared in faith what was going to happen and then he went over and executed it. He didn't say, Lord, if it's your will, maybe I might. No, no. You just heard what he said, and then he executed it. So our faith, our speech follows. Um, our uh, uh, deliverance or our victory follows our speech. There was this uh, one uh, lady who went and uh, confessed her, sin to the, uh, her sins to the priest, and she said, you know, I have uh, uh, a problem with my tongue. I gossip a lot. What should I do? And he said, I want you to buy a bird and then I want you to pluck the feather of the bird one by one. And then uh, after she did that, she came back and, she's, and she said, well, what's next? 
He said, I want you to put those feathers, feathers back on the bird one by one. And she said, but I can't do that. They're already gone. And so it is with our speech. We, we can't take it back. Our speech has an underestimated immense power disproportionate to its size. So we must exercise control over our speech. Let's all stand and pray. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We lift you up. Thank you for giving us a word. Thank you for speaking to us this morning, Lord. We do not come before you as those who have arrived, but we come to you as those who need your grace. We come to you asking, Lord, set a watch over our mouths. We ask for your grace. It is not by our might, not by our strength, but it is your grace that helps us. We make the decision to repent and consecrate our tongues onto your altar, Lord. Tame our tongue by your grace so that we may be able to use it for your kingdom, for your glory, Lord. Heavenly Father, guide us and lead us. Strengthen us in each and every aspect of our lives. We lift you up, Lord. We magnify your name. Let's use our tongues to lift him up, to bless his name. 